This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Well, hey friends, welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and I'm so glad you're here today. If you are a first-time listener, a special welcome to you. Thanks for checking out the podcast. My guest today is Brooke Martin. Some of you know her as the evening news anchor on Wish TV. Others may be familiar with Brooke only through a recent tragedy she faced publicly when she lost her baby daughter, Emma, just after birth. Brooke and her husband discovered their daughter had a rare fatal birth defect when she was only 13 weeks pregnant. They bravely spoke out about their journey as Brooke continued working on TV throughout her pregnancy, knowing she would lose her sweet baby girl before or soon after she was born. As you'll hear in today's interview, Brooke thought it was very important to be vulnerable and honest about what she was going through, and she said she couldn't have done it without relying on God's strength. I was in awe of how she managed to go through almost her entire pregnancy, knowing what was going to happen to baby Emma, but as Brooke reminds us, Emma was very much alive and loved within her mother's womb. I think Brooke's courage in sharing her story publicly has been so important in helping other women who are going through this, who will go through this, helping them know that they're not alone. I was truly honored that Brooke would share such intimate thoughts with me, and I'm just as honored to share this episode with you today. Enjoy this conversation with Brooke Martin. All right, Brooke, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, Erica, thanks for having me. This is my first ever podcast, so it's exciting for me. I am so honored that I am your first podcast, and uh, as sort of a newbie podcaster, that's really exciting. So thanks for taking the time to do it. Um, well, I'm grateful for you coming on today to share your story and your message of hope in the midst of really one of the worst things that a parent can imagine. And we want to talk about that and what you went through with your daughter, Emma, earlier this year. But before we do that, I wanted to give you a little introduction to our listeners. And so for those listening, if you're in the Indianapolis area, which I know we have a lot of listeners from there, um, you may recognize Brooke from her job on Wish TV, where she does the <laughs> evening news each night. And I have to ask you, Brooke, how do your days look with such kind of a late work schedule? So I anchor the 5, 6, 10, and 11. So I'm the evening shift. It's pretty much like a second shift is how I describe it to people. I go in around 2.30 and then I leave right after uh, the 11. So right at 11.30. So um, right now I like it because I have my mornings and, you know, half of my day free before I go in. But, um, you know, once kids grow up, that might be a different story. So we'll, we'll have to cross that bridge when we get there. Now, I'm curious what drew you to the news business. I'm a bit of a journalist myself, and so I'm definitely interested in it myself. But what made you want to do this job of reporting and being on camera? Well, uh, I anchored our high school's morning announcements. I don't know if you had that at your school. That's but we, great. Mm -hmm. it, it was kind of new for us at that time. This was way back when. And... Um, and I actually visited all of my colleges for interior design. And at the last visit, it was somewhere in North Carolina, and I was talking to a counselor and they said, um, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Because this isn't just a hobby. Like this is, you know, designing and decorating for other people's tastes. And I, he must, he must have gotten a lot of 
uh, students or potential students who kind of wanted to do it more as a hobby. But he made a really great point. And I thought, you know what, I think that this is more of a hobby. And I, and I said, well, shoot, now where do I start? And he goes, think about what you love doing. What, what makes you so happy? And immediately I thought, I love anchoring our morning announcements. And, um, from that point on, I applied like last minute to a couple, um, journalism schools and went to Temple University in Philadelphia. The orientation was the first time I'd ever even stepped foot on campus. Uh, and so it just, it just started there and I never looked back. That's awesome that you found something that you love so early on. I know so many people say, oh, it doesn't, you know, I didn't use my college major. And I hear that a lot, but I'm one of those people that, like you, I got into journalism in college and I've loved it ever since. So um, it's nice to be able to have used that for sure. Um, I think if you have the bug in you, it's hard to get rid of as far as journalism goes. Yeah. And I got kind of off track and did some other things for a while with my career. And now I'm kind of shifting back to the writing side and I'm loving it so much and wishing I would have never left that track. Yeah. It's never too late. It's never yeah, too late. exactly. I'm like, I'm in my 30s. It's fine. I'm not yes. like 85. Absolutely. So I know, um, speaking of work, uh, you, one of the most impressive things I, you know, have discovered about you since viewing your story online is that you were really, you were working basically up until right a few days before your daughter was born. Um, and so I guess, guess this is a good time to kind of step back and, and talk about Emma for a little bit. Um, you were going about your business. You were pregnant with your second child. That's right. And that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you went to the doctor and you had an ultrasound that, oh, gosh, I'm not gonna be able to get through this without mm-hmm. crying. Brooke, I'm so sorry. One of those ultrasounds that nobody wants to see. Yeah. Can yeah. you tell us about that day? Yeah. So, um, you're going to get me going, Erica. Um, (laughs) so I was 13 weeks pregnant with our second child and, um, I actually came down with a really, really bad case of bronchitis and we had already had our first ultrasound and, um, and so I just could not kick this. And I mean, it was going on like two months. It was really, it was really bad. And so I called my doctor and I said, listen, I've kind of been to the, you know, minute clinic stuff. I've tried this, I've tried that. And they said, come in, you know, we want to look at you. And, um, so I went in and they, they wrote me a script and, um, it was my, my nurse practitioner at the time. And she just said, she said, Hey, while you're here, you want me to see if, if we can squeeze you in to see the baby. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and so I was alone and, um, just thinking we were getting, getting another kind of peak. And, um, looking back, I should have known that something was wrong because the ultrasound tech kept coming in and out of the room and kind of ripping off pictures and and leaving and kind of kept making up some strange excuses. And, you know, I'm just kind of this oblivious, you know, expectant mother and, mm-hmm. uh, not thinking anything of it. Cause I can see her, um, you know, how it's kind of like a movie screen now, um, at some offices where I can see real time, um, what's happening. And, and so, um, all of a sudden she doesn't come back in and my nurse practitioner does. And she just lays her hand on my arm and she said, your baby's skull is not developing. I'm so sorry. And, and that's it. And, and I, I was in shock. I didn't know what she meant. I didn't know what it meant. 
Um, And from there, it was just kind of um, a cloud. And there was kind of a dual line of thought going through my mind. The, The one was overwhelming. And the other was a whisper. Um, the overwhelming part was was just complete confusion. Um, they didn't even like say the name of, of the condition, which is anencephaly. Mm-hmm. Um, the ultrasound tech actually had to flip through her like medical encyclopedia to try it. She's like, I think I know what this is called. And um, yeah, and so um, I called my husband and I said, you need to come. And he um, came right away and met me down in the maternal fetal, which is just on a lower level of the same building. And, um, and that's where we, we met with a doctor and um, kind of explained it. But it was, it was wild because we were not given much information um, except that, you know, what I was told. And my doctor then, by the way, did come in. Um, my personal doctor, and he just confirmed the diagnosis. And and, um, and so we're talking to the maternal fetal doctor, and I'm saying, what? so what happens next? Because I was under the impression that this meant that, um, that she was uh, going to pass in utero. And by the way, as I, I should back up a little bit, while, while I'm in the ultrasound um, room by myself. I'm sitting there just in the chair in the corner, just crying and crying. And, um, the ultrasound tech is just kind of picking up her things. And I was so scared to ask Scarica. I was terrified, but I like eked it out. And I just said, did you see the gender? And, uh, cause we didn't know at that time. And she looks at me, it's just the, the saddest look in her eyes. And she said it was a girl. And that's what we were hoping for. And um, so um, I just nodded and, and accepted it. And, and then we went down to maternal fetal. But um, I said, so what's going to happen now to the doctor thinking that, you know, how do I deliver her? You know, what, what, what goes on? And she goes, well, um, you know, you have options. Um, of course, we don't do it here. This is a Catholic. This is St. Vincent, a Catholic hospital. And I kind of looked confused, like, we don't do it here. I, didn't, I had no idea what she was talking about. Mm. And she said, you know, you can, um, you know, Planned Parenthood would be able to. And and I, I'm like, what? Like, I was just so like, what is going on right now? Oh, my goodness. Like, you're talking about, you know, termination. Like, you're talking yeah. about abortion. I I wasn't. So you're telling me she can survive? Like, like what? You know, and so, um, so. I realized after we left there, we just, Cole, my husband Cole and I just kind of like looked into it ourselves and we were like, what does this mean? And um, we had to kind of come to the realization, okay, she can survive. Okay, she can maybe even survive a little bit after birth. Like we might have time with her. And so um, we were able to you know, at that point just understand what was happening and we um, immediately, you know, regardless had decided that that we were going to carry her. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I mean, it sounds like in this situation, the doctors are used to people just making a decision to terminate. Is that the impression you got? Yes. Um, in fact, I, I was on one forum of, of parents um, with anencephaly babies and, or diagnoses, I should say, um, because 
I would say 90% of the chat in that one forum, but 90% were, was that, you know, I was diagnosed at this week, uh, terminated at this week, you know, I diagnosed at this week, terminated this week. And, and it was just a very, it seemed like a very natural conversation. Um, one that is definitely seemed to be more the, the, um, the rule, not the exception. I think, I think that that would be the exception would be us. And, and you didn't even, that didn't even cross your mind. You were not going to consider that. Uh, no, when, when we were looking, when I was looking at her, I mean, she was like, I couldn't even tell anything was wrong, obviously yeah. from the, the ultrasound. And I saw her little hands and her feet moving. And, you know, when, you know, that it was just so clear to us that that wasn't our decision to make. Right. I will say, Erica, that through this, um, I have not taken a, a political stance on this, mm-hmm. but I have very um, transparently walked through our journey, yeah. you know, publicly, as you know, and I just feel like I have heard from parents across the spectrum, and I have incredible empathy for parents who made a different decision. And, um, I know that in some hospitals you get the diagnosis and then you are offered the option of going up two floors. And, um, and I think when I think of the shock that we were in and the confusion, um, I cannot imagine making a decision within the next few hours of getting that news. And then, maybe down the road, maybe hearing our story, maybe seeing pictures of Emma, Emma going, you're telling me we could have had, we could have time with our child. Like you're yeah. like, and so I just believe so strongly that, you know, we've kind of created this, this movement, this pro-life pro-choice movement where we've polarized each other, um, you know, good, bad villain hero. And I really think that if we're going to make major inroads in saving the lives of the most vulnerable, we're going to need to get really vulnerable ourselves. And we're going to need to step into other people's shoes. And we're going to need to ask a lot of questions and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of shouting right now. And there's a time and a place for for that and for activism. But I really think that our world is in desperate need of listeners. And I think that we can love people into life. Oh, that's so good. Desperate need of listeners. I couldn't agree more with that. Um, so, you know, I'm a mom, I've got little kids and I, you know, somewhat recently had a baby, um, when I encountered your story Mm. and I think so many moms, as you know, watched you, you know, you guys came out very publicly, very early on. You did a video with your husband and you said, this is what's happened. And this is the decision that we've made. And a Mm. lot of moms, including myself, I'm trying not Mm -hmm. to cry. Um, you know, think about what would, what would the day today be like carrying Mm. a child that you know is not going to survive probably past birth. Yeah. And how do you get through your days? I mean, that is the ultimate question for me thinking, Mm. waking up every day and having that knowledge of this, you know, beautiful life inside of you, Mm -hmm. but knowing that it will end soon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I have an answer for that, Erica. I, 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 um, 
I think that that God's grace walked us through this process minute by minute, Um, and it was certainly nothing we did. I will say that um, from the very beginning, Cole and I, as we sat down and talked, we said we just have one prayer, Um, and it was, God, just be glorified, And, um, and then we surrendered her. And what we watched was not only God be glorified, but we watched the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And um, there were moments and days that I swore to you, like I would swear that there's no way possible physically, emotionally, but even physically, I can't do this. Um, One of them was we had a, a meeting with the hospital staff, with our team to go to literally walk through the morning of diagnosis, the morning that we knew we were going to say goodbye. And I thought I walked into the hospital and I just said to God, I said, I can't, I can't do this. Like I can't do it. And then, and then I would just be injected with, with strength and peace. And we would, and we would walk through it. Would I mean, it's still sad, but we, it was just like amazing. And, you know, the, of course, the morning of delivery, the, the delivery itself, I said, God, I can't do it. And I was just filled. I mean, the operating room, I had a C-section. The operating room was just, I mean, it was bizarre. I was literally at peace as they were <laughs> cutting me open and, and, and handing our daughter to me. And, um, and then the, the, the biggest one, and this is the one I, I still have trouble talking about. But I said, how do you leave? How do you leave a hospital without your child? Like, who do I give her to? Like, how do I leave? And I I just said, this is the one, God, that I just, I don't know. And I woke up the morning that we were leaving because we were in the hospital a few days. And I woke up that morning literally out of my sleep with tears running down my cheeks. And I just said, I can't do it. And, um... In that moment, again, it was like the grace of heaven just fell. And Cole and I sat with her, and we just talked to her for a little while longer. She had been passed for a, a couple of days at that point, but we were able to still have her in our room um, because of um, the cuddle cot, which mm-hmm. I know you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we just held her and talked to her, and then we um, handed her to our nurse, and um, and we left. And I remember looking over at him in the car as we're driving home, and we both just smiled, like like all is well, you know. Like and and so anyway, all of that to say, my goodness, to answer your question, um, we were held. We were just held with a supernatural uh, peace through through the whole journey, and um, it doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's easy, um, but there's there's nothing like it. Did you ever question God's goodness? Never, never, um, never. I I don't know. I don't know. I said th- you know it must have just been my. Um, my whole life, I've I've been a Christ follower. It hasn't always looked looked like it, I guess. Um, but um, I've always been so so sure of His goodness, and um, and you know, and I, and we felt it from the from the very moment of diagnosis. Because when I told you that I had kind of a dual line of thought 
in that um, doctor's office when we received it. The one was overwhelming, and I said the other was a whisper. And that whisper um, came almost immediately, and it was just the word or the name Emmanuel. And it was just uh, over and over, just Emmanuel, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. And to be totally honest, I thought it was weird. Um, mm. It wasn't anything audible or anything, but I just, I just heard it in my mind and in my heart. And and I thought, Emmanuel, like, like that's like a name we use at Christmas, right? <laughs> like, uh-huh. like this is in in Christmas carols, and like, you know, I know it's a name for Jesus, but like that's all I knew. And 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 I didn't think a ton of it until the journey really began and I started walking and we ended up naming, um, you know, Emma, Emma Noel, which sounds like Emmanuel, because Mm -hmm. I knew that that was given to us. Um, I just wasn't sure why. And as we walked the journey, I realized that God wanted to teach us and a lot of others, um, about the intimacy of God with us which is what that name means. And it was the prophet Isaiah who gave that name, um, prophesied that a baby would be born and he will be called Emmanuel. It means God with us. So it's literally the gift of Jesus Christ. And, um, and then, you know, now the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what a incredible gift it is. Because like you, so many people say, I cannot fathom. I cannot you know, I would never have the strength. I would never have it. And I say, I don't have the strength. I don't have it. I don't have the bravery. I don't have any of it. Um, but it is this gift of Emmanuel, this intimate relationship that is available to all of us. And I just think in a world that is so chaotic and so filled with so much um, hurt and just crap, um, we need this message of Emmanuel more than more than ever. And so from the very beginning, um, knowing that he was with us and knowing that we had that divine assurance from him, um, I, I never, never questioned his goodness. Now, I'd love to hear when you and your husband decided to go on video. I mean, you're obviously, you're a public figure. People follow you on social media. They see you on the news. So what was that conversation like with your husband when you guys decided to go public with your diagnosis? Uh, In my mind, I didn't really have a decision to make because we had already announced the pregnancy. We had done this cheeky little funny video, you know, and so everyone knew and and I knew I would be growing. And so I thought, well, either I can like keep this a secret and field all of these, how far along are you? What are you having? You know, I, you know, with, with a total inauthenticity or, you know, um, I can just be honest. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, so, so we chose to do that and I'll tell you a really quick, um, story about that. So initially, you know, I approached my station management I just said, here's the situation. And, um, and we kind of, thought, okay, what's the best way to go about this? And we kind of landed on, I would write something for, you know, my Facebook page and, um, they were going to send over a photographer to just shoot some still photos of Cole and Max and I, and we would just use a still photo. And then, you know, I would write something. And at six o'clock that morning, I woke up out of a dead sleep. Um, our, the photographer was supposed to come around eight or eight 30. And, um, and I just felt like, I'm not supposed to write this. Um, I just felt like words can be crafted so eloquently. And this 
There's nothing eloquent about it. Hmm. And this is real and this sucks. And you need to lead with uh, authenticity in this. And so I shot out, uh, shot off an email to the photographer and I said, if it's not too late, can you bring a video camera? Mm -hmm. And he did. And I said, just set it up on a tripod and press play. And Cole and I started talking. We had not prepared a single word. (laughs) We had um, not talked about it ourselves, how we would, you know, describe it or talk about it. We just expressed what was in our hearts. And the reach of that video has blown our minds. Um, that initial video, it's on my, it's still on my Facebook page. Um, and looking back and realizing that, you know, this was the start of our transparency. This was the start of us making, uh, a determined decision to be genuine. And, um, all throughout the process from then on, I, promised myself I would not post anything, record anything, or write anything that was not 100% genuine. And I even have deleted at least one one video that I had recorded because I was like, you know what? I'm trying to act like I have it all together in this one, and I don't. Mm-hmm. Or I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be stronger or happier or whatever, uh, and today I'm, I'm just not. And so that was just kind of my rule of thumb that I led with throughout the whole process. And um, I think that's what people responded to so, so much because our story just had reaches, um, all around the world that, um, I, I just could have never, never fathomed if you would have told me. Yeah. It has a lot of views and we'll link that up in the show notes for everyone. Um, you said to the ND star, you said that you found beauty in the journey that you didn't expect. And, you know, we've talked about this a little bit that a lot of parents can't imagine anything beautiful about this situation. Can you talk about some of the beauty that you've experienced? So, um, yeah, there's so many, so many angles to that. I would say one of the most profound parts of the beauty was the healing that other people received because of Emma. Mm. And um, from the very start of that video, uh, we received hundreds and hundreds of emails and cards and um, messages saying, you know, they were, they were reaching out in with compassion and sympathy, but what was so striking to us was all of the stories that were included. And I mean, like, not just like, oh, we also lost a child. It was like, you know, we were diagnosed at this date and then, you know, we had, you know, Mark on this day and, you know, he survived for this long and that was so many, and this would, he would have been graduating this year. And, and I mean, just like details and, just heartfelt emotion in these messages. And I said to Cole, I said, we've touched on something here and we have the unique ability to be able to talk about Emma and our, you know, process and our loss. But what I just felt was like, so many people don't have it. And so many people, this has been a really, really lonely road for them. And so many people never got a chance for people to know their child's name. And so much, so many times with infant loss, people are scared of it and they don't want to bring it up. Oh, I don't want to get them upset. You know, I don't want to ask their child's name. I don't, you know, and so we steer clear. And what ends up happening instead is that it's isolating. And for these parents, all they want is for their child to be known. Mm -hmm. And, 
and they don't have an opportunity for it. And so um, I heard from moms who said, um, I am, you know, 83 years old or I am, you know, 75. This is the first time I've ever written my child's name. Um, this, this was regarding the celebration of life where we included, um, everybody, um, who's lost a, a child through infant loss. And, and, um, you know, I can't tell you how much healing this has brought to see them recognized. And so, so, so many stories like that, that have just, I mean, just absolutely also, you know, torn my heart apart. Um, but also made me so grateful that our story and our little girl was used in, in so many ways to, to bring healing, um, was just so beautiful. Um, but there, yeah, I could go on and on so many examples. Yeah. That's, um, that's amazing. I, I would never, you would never guess that someone, you know, 75 years old would, you know, be a part of, of that celebration mm-hmm. of life. But, um, I can see how powerful that message was for people. Um, now how, how long did Emma live after she was born? 21 minutes. And can you tell me how did it feel to hold her? Um, it was great. It was, um, it was really special. Um, I was able to tell her uh, a few things that I, I had been wanting to tell her for throughout those eight months. Um, and, um, you know, because it was a C-section, um, I wasn't able to hold her too long. I gave her to Cole and, um, she passed in his arms. Um, but I actually, I mean, you know, I, I started to get nauseous just from the anesthesia, um, about 10 minutes in. And so, um, I was dealing with that, but. It was, um, it was just really, it was really a special, really sacred time for us. Yeah. Now you mentioned the cuddle cots. Can you tell me, tell us more about that? Because I think those are really special and really important for families. Yeah. So I know we have a mutual friend in Linda Zanaco mm-hmm. and I think she's been on your podcast. Yes. I love um, her. Yes. She is the best of the best. And, um, Linda, um, kind of roundabout way, but one of Linda's friends is also a friend of, of my extended family and she lives in Indianapolis. And, um, she reached out to Linda and just said, Hey, I heard about, you know, what Brooke is going through and I want to donate a cuddle cot in Emma's, um, uh, memory and in her honor. And so Linda then, reached out to us. We are total strangers at that point. She just said, you know, hi, um, I'm Linda. I just want you to know this is happening. And can, can my husband and I bring over this cuddle cot to show you? Cause at that point I had no idea what a cuddle cot was, I, <laughs> you know, just didn't know anything about, um, this entire area of infant loss and um, and I just said, sure. And so anyway, they, they brought this cuddle cot to our home, um, as you know, as I'm pregnant and she and her husband, Steve just prayed over Cole and I, and we just had this really sweet emotional time, um, where we saw the cuddle cot and realized that for the first time, um, Emma was going to use her own cuddle cot. Typically cuddle cots are donated after a death. And so, 
this was the first time that a child was going to actually be laid in their own cuddle cot. Um, and so it was just an incredibly powerful and, um, just an absolute blessing for us. And so for listeners who don't understand what it is, it's really simply just a cooling device and it's, it's a mattress, if you will, really thin mattress that lays under the bassinet, uh, sheet and you can lie a child in there and they, um, can stay with you in the hospital room for up to three days after they pass. And so that gives you a chance to take pictures. It gives uh, a chance for family to visit and, and meet them. It gives uh, a chance to bond and, um, and, and finally a, a chance to say goodbye, you know? Um, and it is so important <laughs> because uh, those same women who said this was the first time I I've written my child's name also told me that when they delivered, they never got a chance to even see their child because they were just whisked away. And that, that was the process back then, you know, um, it's more of a, Oh, let's, okay, okay, move on. Let's forget about this. This didn't happen. And so they're just left with these gaping holes in their hearts, um, of not being able to see their child, name their child, um, you know, um, just a lot of like hurt and regret surrounding that. And so cuddle cot is, uh, the gift of time. And so anyway, so that's how I met Linda. She runs, he knows your name, uh, ministry. She founded that. And part of her ministry is getting cuddle cots in hospitals because they are not funded by yeah, the and hospitals. They're not, and they're not cheap at all, right? No, they're, they're, uh, about $3,000, um, from what I understand. And, um, yeah, these need to be in every hospital in the mm-hmm. country. <laughs> and, um, right now Indiana has the most of any state in the nation because of Linda's work. Um, but we need to, we need to keep spreading the word about that because this is something that should be just as important as, you know, any other machine that's, that's in, yeah. that's in the NICU. He knows your name is such a great ministry. And when you were talking about the people that, um, you know, that said they had never, said their child's name or never spoken of their child, that is a a big part of what Linda does and and some of the stories Mm -hmm. that she had told me um, in terms of just giving people the opportunity to be able to recognize those children that they lost. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Um, It's okay. okay. I'm an emotional person, man. You should have heard me during my conversation with Linda. It was, it was like even worse because she was sitting in my, um, she was sitting at my house. <laughs> so. I, know. I know this is probably good. We're doing this over the phone. I <laughs> we would know. just both be weeping. I know. <laughs> um, so it's been um, months. I'm not, I'm not sure of the exact amount of time it's been since <clears throat> Emma was born. Um, and you, I believe you're back to work and mm-hmm. I see your stuff pop up on social media. So how are you doing now? And are you continuing to hear from people um, about their stories? Thanks for asking. I'm, um, I'm doing really well. And yes, I, I continue to hear from people and I honestly wish there were five of me because I just, I'm slowly but surely getting back to people, but it's just, um, it's been overwhelming the, the response and the stories. And, um, I, I wish I had more, more time to respond, but, um, it's been good. I wasn't sure, honestly, going back into the news field where you're reading about, you know, sad stories every day. Um, I wasn't sure if I would be able to do it again. Uh, your heart is different after you go through something like this. And, um, 
I was surprised at um, how smoothly it has gone. I, it's kind of been like riding a bike. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel good about it. There are definitely stories, especially involving babies, that um, make me, you know, make my heart stop um, when I when I have to read them or read about them. Um, but God's definitely given me strength to continue, and so I, I believe that this is where He wants me right now. But. Um, my personality I've learned, and you don't really kind of learn this about yourself until you walk through something pretty terrible, um, is that I think my tendency is to kind of be like, okay, great. You know, um, that's done. Let's kind of move on and, you know, put that back into a box. And, uh, I've learned how important it is that I don't do that. And I've tried, but by the grace of God, he's kind of, um, made me, sit with it from time to time. One example is Cole and I went on vacation. Um, I took some time off after, um, we had Emma and we went to Costa Rica and, uh, it happened to be over mother's day and we didn't plan it. Um, and I thought, well, this is good. I won't be with Max. Like, so I won't have to think about mother's day. Like, and I even said to Cole, let's just pretend, you know, like this is any other day. And, um, and I woke up that morning and we were having coffee and I opened up my Bible app and the verse of the day was every time I remember you, I thank God for you. And I just started sobbing and, and I cried and I cried most of that morning. And it was so good though, Erica, like it felt so good. And I knew I needed that. Like I needed that grieving time. And I said, God, thank you. Thank you for not letting me run from this. Like I was trying with everything in me to just, you know, run away. And he was like, no, you need to sit with this for, for a little bit. And, um, so I, the, the key now for me is to continue with that. And, you know, now that I'm back at work, not allow myself to just get so wrapped up, um, in the daily grind, you know, um, Max will be three. So you know how, how that is. Oh, um, three is the worst, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like I ever have solitude or, you know, time to really, um, continue to process. So I really need to be intentional about that. And that's going to be my, my task here yeah. moving forward. So what's your message to the mom who is going to receive this kind of news or has received it? I mean, what do you say to her? Because we don't know who's listening. And Mm. I hope that this podcast can be a source of hope for people. And I would love to just hear what you would say to someone. Yeah. Um, I would say that um, God is bigger than you ever could imagine. His love is deeper than you ever knew, and he's going to meet you. Um, but you have to, you have to look to him and um, and surrender and open up your hands. I think sometimes with grief, we hold on to it. You know, with these clenched fists, this is my grief. This is um, my sorrow and my hurt, and I'm you know I'm angry and I'm upset and. And sometimes it's hard to release our grief. Does that make sense? Like it's mm-hmm. hard to to say, "Oh, I'm going to be okay being okay." And um, and I think it's all in where is your perspective? Is your perspective 
rooted in his promises. Because if your perspective is rooted in anything else, you will crumble. Like this, this is one of the worst things. Anyone who has lost a child will tell you, like it is one of the worst things, if not the worst thing you could ever go through. And so where is your perspective? Um, and make sure now before, before we ever get these news, because we're all going to walk through something. And so now like, the time to ask ourselves, where is my, my life perspective? Um, one of the verses that I clung to throughout this process was in Philippians. It's when Paul is, uh, in jail and he's writing to the Philippians and he talks and he says like, what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I'm like this, like what, what's happened to us? Like Emma Noel has been my deliverance. She has taught me so much more than I could have ever learned without her. And then Paul goes on and says that it's my hope and my expectation that I won't be ashamed and that I'm going to have courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so he's just talking about like, man, bad stuff is going to happen, but if you're walking with Christ, it will always turn out for your deliverance. And um, so that would just be my my encouragement because there's nothing, Erica, I can say like, you know, oh, you know, just uh, focus on the love, focus on, like there's nothing in our human spirits and bodies that can get us through this in a, in a way that it works out for our deliverance other than total surrender. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Brooke, for sharing that. Um, I did want to ask you a couple other things. Um, and I just, I feel weird transitioning at all because, (laughs) you know, I, I, your story is so important. I have been so moved by it and, and by Emma and by everything that her life has represented for, Mm. for so many people. So thank you for sharing it. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Um, I did notice on your, um, your bio that you participate in big brothers, big sisters, Mm -hmm. um, which I do as well. So I was excited to, to see that. Um, and I wanted to just ask you, you know, what drew you to the organization and why you think it's important? Uh, yeah. So big brothers, big sisters, I believe is, um, any mentoring organization, um, is one of the most important things we can do for our city. We talk about a lot in the news, um, you know, violence. And we all go, oh, grumble, grumble, you know, another violent year and grumble, grumble. We need more police officers and, you know, more tax dollars. And I believe um, in the depths of my soul that if all of us mentored one child, um, we would change this city. And uh, so I've always wanted to get involved with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, but because my job kind of bounced me around the country, I didn't want to commit and then leave. Um, And so when we came to Indy and felt like this was our home, um, we immediately jumped in and we've been with our little for six years now. He's 14. We got, we were matched with him when he was eight and, um, and we've just been able to walk with him through life and he's taught us so much and I hope we've taught him a few things and uh, it's just been a really beautiful, uh, beautiful thing. Yeah, I think I a hundred percent agree with you on the mentorship thing. I think it is so important. I mean, kids are lacking mentors, um, you know, in vulnerable situations and that can really, honestly, that can truly change someone's life 
like ultimately. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I've, I've been doing it. I've been with my little for almost a year now and, um, okay. I love doing it. I think it's great. And I, if you're listening, I'm encouraging you to <laughs> check yes. it out because yes. they need more mentors. They need, especially guys. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think, I think at last check, they had like 400 kids on the waiting list. Yeah. So like, yeah, their kids need you. And you can yeah. do it as a couple, a big couple. Yep. That's what That's you guys what are do. doing. It sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any other organizations or causes that you like to support? Um, well, my husband is type one diabetic. Um, and so we, the, um, American diabetes association, we love to support, uh, for personal reasons. Um, I will be speaking at the little angel, little angel Ga- uh, gowns gala. That's mm-hmm. a mouthful. Um, in August. And, um, that is an organization that we came across just with Emma. And that's, um, an organization that takes, uh, wedding gowns and creates, um, burial gowns for babies. And, mm-hmm. um, we just, they're just the most extravagant, beautiful gowns you could ever imagine. Aww. And it's just a really special organization. Um, and so we love, that one. And, um, we also love Wheeler rescue mm-hmm. mission. Um, we, we put, um, some of our resources and time there as well. They're doing just amazing work and they're, uh, working to open a new women and children's, um, section too. That's just going to be so, so wonderful and needed. Okay. And I always like to ask people if you have been reading any recent books or have any shows or podcasts that you would recommend. Oh man. Okay. Um, shows we are in the middle of the americans have you oh, watched this yes i've seen the okay. whole thing <laughs> oh my goodness i there's so many seasons they're so I'm good like, how are we ever going to get through this but it's so good i can't stop oh yeah um so that's what we're in the middle of right now as far as binging um reading while i was in costa rica i normally don't get to read any fiction <laughs> um, but i did and it was amazing um firefly lane it's by Kristen mm. hannah mm-hmm. and it you would love it erica because it's about a, a news anchor oh. and um and just kind of news and journalism, but the, the overarching story is about deep friendship mm-hmm. and kind of rifts that can come in friendship. And it's, it's really, it's, it's an awesome book. Um, nonfiction. I just finished, uh, Stacey Eldridge's becoming myself. I really liked that. And what I just am starting now is it's been sitting on my, um, nightstand forever. And I'm just finally doing it. The Enneagram Christian perspective. Oh. So yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing this. Finally. What are you? Everyone, I, I don't know yet. Like I said, I just started, but I think I might be a three. Yeah. Um, but I like, I've just gotten into ones and I'm like, Oh, I can totally see some tendencies there <laughs> from me too. So I'm like, I don't know. It's, I, uh, to be, to be continued on that front. Do you know what you are? Yeah, I'm a four and I keep intending to read a book on it, but I just like, I have so many books piled up that I'm in the middle of that. I'm just not allowing myself to start a book on it, I feel you. but I I started following, um, like Enneagram and coffee on Instagram and there's a couple other accounts that I follow and I'll I'll have to follow them. Um, I think it's mostly interesting to like, I, my husband's a six, so I've been trying to read up on sixes and Mm. figure him out a little bit. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Diagnose. There's a new, there's actually a new Enneagram relationship book coming out. Um, so maybe that's the one I'll, I'll get. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I know there's the road back to 
me and then I think the road back to us or path or something. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of resources. It's just a matter of finding the time with young kids to Um, do it. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I just actually became a stay at home mom sort of like three weeks ago. So I'm adjusting to bless bless you. (laughs) I literally, I don't know how you do it. And I, and I think it's the hardest job in the world. So all the respect in the world. It's pretty hard, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll see. I'm only three weeks in. I don't know. Well, well I, I have some learning to do, but, um, all right, Brooke. Well, thank you again for taking the time to do this interview and share your story. And, um, I hope that I can meet you in real life sometime. Uh, that I would, would be great. That. Uh, maybe we can, maybe I'll, I'll see you when you're at an event or something at some point. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. If you were able to get through that without crying, you're probably one of the few. Brooke was so kind to share her story of baby Emma with me. And I'm thankful to her for that. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode or you've been enjoying the podcast in general, will you take just a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes of Worth Your Time? It only takes a moment, but it's very helpful and it's one free way to help me continue producing the show. And I really want to keep doing that. Thanks again for spending this hour with me. I hope you have a blessed day and I'll see you next week. This episode was brought to you in part. By the Lord of Spirits podcast, many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.